I love you. Right. That's why he tried to kill me. No. I'd never do anything to hurt you. I want you to come back to me. Bullshit. What's bullshit, Mr. Quaid? That you're having a paranoid episode triggered by acute neurochemical trauma? Or that you're really an invincible secret agent from Mars who's the victim of an interplanetary conspiracy to make him think he's a lowly construction worker? Stop punishing yourself, Doug. You're a fine, upstanding man. You have a beautiful wife that loves you. Your whole life is ahead of you. But you've got to want to return to reality. Let's assume I do. Then what? Swallow this. What is it? It's a symbol of your desire to return to reality. Inside your dream, you'll fall asleep. All right, let's say you're telling the truth and this is all a dream. Then I could pull this trigger and it won't matter. Doug, don't. It won't make the slightest difference to me, Doug. But the consequences to you would be devastating. In your mind, I'll be dead. And with no one to guide you out, you'll be stuck in permanent psychosis. Doug, let Dr. Edgemar help you. The walls of reality will come crashing down. One minute, you'll be the savior of the rebel cause. And the next thing you know, you'll be Cohagen's bosom buddy. You'll even have fantasies about alien civilizations, as you requested. But in the end, back on Earth, you'll be lobotomized. So get a grip on yourself, Doug, and put down that gun. Good. Now take the pill and put it in your mouth. Swallow it. Go ahead, sweetheart. Now you've done it. Now you've done it! God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 240, Total Recall. I'm back. My volume's back. Hopefully. Well, we're not hearing it (laughs) right now. (laughs) For those of you that listen to the Uncut Gems episode, a lot of people reaching out, you know, not really able to hear Matt. I got to tell you, people weren't that broken up about it. (laughs) Wasn't a lot of disappointment in those emails, (laughs) frankly. This is 
listener request number 18, courtesy of Theodore. It's taken a long time to get to it, but we're finally here. A lot of scheduling conflicts, Matt traveling all over the country. Yeah, just a whirlwind. Happy to be here. Happy to be back for a while. Yeah, hopefully. We need to get through Greatest October unscathed. Right. I'm not worried. Yeah. But the, the schedule has moved a lot lately, and I don't feel like it's just because of me. No, but mostly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 90% you. Right, mostly me. <laughs> We're, of course, talking about the 1990 original, directed by Paul Verhoeven, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. We're not acknowledging the remake at this point, because I've never seen it, and I don't really plan to. Same. I heard it's not as fun. Yeah. It's more deathly serious. It's kind of lacking that campy charm of this one. Yeah, it seems like this would be a pretty lame movie without the campiness. There's something cool about the way they do the practical effects right. in this movie. And there is actually a little very early days CGI in it. Yeah. It's not really where you would expect. It's the x-ray I would say scenes. the effects is what makes this movie unique. And I- Arnold. Sure. You're not replicating Arnold with Colin Farrell. That doesn't even make sense. No. I have not watched this movie a ton of times in my life. I, I feel like it's been years. I kind of just like I always associate this and like Demolition Man. It's all kind of like the same <laughs> world uh, with the Fifth Element too. You know, they're all kind of like that weird, campy sci-fi. The Fifth Element, yeah. I think this is way better than Demolition Man. I'm sure it is. Demolition Man, I have very little memory of. All right, folks. Before we talk about Total Recall. Let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter, at Greatest Pod. Things really blowing up in the Twitterverse for us right now. That's right. Even with the breaks, people are still reaching out, people staying on like board. People are like, less. We like the breaks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Less episodes, please. Although, we might as well just admit it right now. There's going to be two episodes this week. We're going hard right now, getting it in before the greatest October, and there'll be a quick turnaround there. And you know that October yeah. is going to be jam-packed. So There's certain people that just like get so much anxiety like with the episodes coming in. They're like, they want to finish one before a new one comes out. <laughs> well, it's probably not going to happen yeah. unless you listen to them right away. Unless you just have two hours to throw away. <laughs> Yeah, it's our busy season. It is. We look forward to it every year. Okay. In addition to Twitter, you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby on there. If you'd like a listener request like Theodore, let us know on Twitter. We'll get to it eventually. At this point, who knows when we'll get to it, but we will. I think people make requests stop listening to the show by the time we get to theirs. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, yeah, this podcast. That's right. <laughs> because I at you tweet them. them. Yeah. In the t- <laughs> that's pretty much why. I'm like, they might yeah. not be listening anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you'd like a sticker, let us know. Matt's still sending those out from time to time. Fairly timely. Mostly timely. Mostly timely. So you can look forward to that. All you have to do is send us a DM with your address and you get a sticker for free. Slide into the DMs. And I think that's it. So let's get into it. A lot of ground to cover here. There's, it's almost like wrestling how many twists there are in this. A lot of flip-flopping of sides. Oh, yeah. Definitely some heel turns. Definitely some surprises. I have a lot of thoughts on this movie, although I don't think they're completely... Coherent? Original. Oh. I'm sure other people have similar ideas. 
I'm in the camp of this is not really happening. Okay. And yeah. Verhoeven would agree with me, and I think there's a lot of clues throughout the film. I, I think we can say... just spoil it right now. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I, I was going to say this. there's almost like a Vanilla Sky thing going on here. It's very Vanilla Sky. Yeah. Total Recall was directed by Paul Verhoeven. I'm just cracking open a Coke. It's all right. It's appropriate. <laughs> Screenplay by Gary Goldman, Dan O'Bannon, and Ronald Shusett. Ronald and Dan wrote Alien, famously, and they actually wrote Total Recall before Alien, and it took forever for this movie to get made. Based on what I was reading, it seemed like there must have been just countless drafts of this script. I think there was 42 or 3. Wow. And it went on for years and years and years. Screen story by O'Banion, Shusset, and John Povel, inspired by the short story We Can Remember It For You Wholesale by Philip K. Dick, who also wrote the stories that would become Blade Runner and Minority Report. I know when I was watching this, I was like, oh, it seems like there's kind of like a Blade Runner type thing here. And then I read, uh, well, not a very great observation by me. Yeah, it doesn't have the deathly serious feel. Right, right. Mostly thinking, I, I mean, mostly the idea of like the implants, the memories, like the fake memories. Whenever they were considering doing a sequel to Total Recall, they were actually going to base it off of Minority Report and have it have that be the sequel to this. And it never really came to fruition. Eventually, Spielberg made it with Tom Cruise. Yep. And Colin Farrell, oddly enough. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Total Recall had a budget of between fifty and sixty million, which for nineteen ninety made it one of the most expensive films ever made to that point. Wow. Which is crazy because now we're at like ten times oh, that I much know. almost for some movies, it seems like. But it's hard to say what the specific number is, so it's either the second most or somewhere in that neighborhood. Box office was 261.3, making it not Schwarzenegger's biggest hit, but a big hit nonetheless. And it won a Special Achievement Academy Award for its visual effects, some of which were done by Rob Bottin, who famously did the awesome effects for John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982. Okay. As I mentioned, the original script predates Alien, and it was stuck in what is commonly referred to as development hell. That's right. For a long time. Went through over 40 drafts. I'm sure you're going to get to it, but like Cronenberg was attached at one point. Yeah, which I mentioned when we did The Fly. That's right. Because that's what he was working on when he was first approached. And even though Cronenberg eventually fell out of favor with... O'Bannon and Shusset and and the people working on the script and Cronenberg wanted to take it in a different direction, more true to Philip K. Dick's original short story, whereas they were thinking more like Raiders of the Lost Ark on Mars. Wow. Instead, he did still have an indelible impact on the story. In fact, Cronenberg introduced the idea of mutants into this and the character of Quato. Okay. (laughs) I do think that the original short story is a lot different. Yeah, yeah. In certain aspects. I'm sure. Which is why it's really considered inspired by rather than based on. The mutant angle does seem bizarre, and it does take some getting used to. Yeah, because they don't necessarily spend a lot of time explaining it. Right. They're just like, oh, yeah, some of the oxygen wasn't great. Right. It turned people (laughs) into mutants. Enough said. Yeah. Although I think that if you do view this film as it's all a dream, a lot of that stuff makes more sense. That checks out then. And the biggest turning point is when 
Quaid first goes to recall for the first time, and basically everything's laid out exactly as it will happen. Right. Including the introduction of alien artifacts. Oh, yeah. There's a picture of Melina in the system, and I'm kind of spoiling everything right now, but you know what I mean? And I do think that the mutant aspect of it and all of these, like, half-assed plot things start making more sense when you're like, okay, this is just sort of stream of conscience, like a dream. Yeah. It doesn't all necessarily get explained or make total sense. It's funny because sometimes when you think about something and it turns out to not be real in just a dream, you can't help but be, like, disappointed. Because you're like, well, then why did I go through all that? I have to say, in this case, I do think it makes it better <laughs> if it's not really happening. It makes it interesting. <laughs> I don't know if it's better or worse, but it definitely makes it more interesting in some ways. Okay. For me, I think it's better. At one point, Richard Dreyfus was attached to Star, which is a completely different movie. Wow. They went a different direction. I think when Dino De Laurentiis was going to be the producer, he wanted like Swayze, maybe to be in this you can see that with the schwarzenegger fit i could see swayze in there yeah and i don't think that total recall is that dissimilar to roadhouse even though they're completely different genres because there's no science fiction element in roadhouse right but sort of that overblown campy action be nice yeah and then dune flops Oh, yeah. So De Laurentiis hops out of this, doesn't want anything to do with it. So Schwarzenegger, who had been eyeing this project from afar, swoops in, takes over, gets a company to buy it for $3 million, and gets himself an unprecedented level of control over the project. He gets approval of virtually everything. Wow. Director, co-stars marketing but anything you could imagine Schwarzenegger had control over for this movie he recruits Verhoeven who had just come off of RoboCop which Schwarzenegger almost starred in oh gotcha was a huge fan of it as a final product he's like we got to get this guy Verhoeven comes in so let's talk about Verhoeven we've done a few of his movies that's right he's most a hero of, of mine are, for sure uh, sexier than this but <laughs> there's some sex still oh, in yeah this, yeah though. I know. And Almost this, gratuitous I guess, in the sense that, like, you don't really need it. No, no. But it's still there. I'm happy he was able to work it in. Yeah. Of course, anytime Verhoeven is teaming up with Sharon Stone, I'm on board. So let's talk about his run, starting with Flesh and Blood in 1985, a movie that I introduced you to this That's year. That's right. We did it as a double feature. Although yeah. I missed the second of Which was his feature. prior film, which was in... Still when he was working in the Netherlands, I guess, which would... Spedders. Spedders, yeah. Which uh, I, I do own, haven't watched yet, but... <laughs> Spedders is an experience I would recommend for everyone to check out. You can find the Blu-ray. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Flesh and Blood is great, too. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Especially if you're a fan of Jennifer Jason Leigh. Right. Then he makes RoboCop in 87, so this is his first like massive hit. in Into the mainstream now. Total Recall in 90... So he's going down a science fiction path, and you're like, okay, so this is his thing now. Oh, wait a minute. No, Swerve, Basic Instinct in 92. All of a sudden, he's just like, I need to make the best movie that's ever been made. And he makes Showgirls in 1995. (laughs) Super Troopers, not Super Troopers. (laughs) That would be great if that was the next movie. In 97, Hollow Man in 2000, he's essentially... Banished from 
Hollywood goes back over to Europe and is now making like smaller independent films like L and now this nun exploitation yeah. movie that's coming out later this year that I can't wait for. Yeah. That seems fun. <laughs> but yeah, just a complete legend. If you go from RoboCop to Showgirls in only a couple of moves and in in between is Total Recall and Basic Instinct. I know. That is like quite a run. That's right. <laughs> the special effects are a combination of practical effects from Rob Bottin, early CGI, miniatures, one of the last major motion pictures to te- make use of miniatures. And it looks all pretty cool and effective. I know. Some of it is like kind of cartoony, but in a fun way. There's definitely like an aesthetic to it that you really wouldn't see now because sure. CGI is right. like all homogenized. Everything's all sterile. It all sort of looks the same yes. from one movie to the next. This has its own unique texture and feel and look to it, especially when you think about Quado and how yeah. they would do Quado now and how much it would suck. <laughs> but like, yeah. you look at that Quado and you can imagine what that thing feels like. Not good. It looks wet and gross. It's pulsating out of your body. Yeah. And you know it's fake. Right. And it doesn't 100% look convincing, yet. That idea of being able to reach out and touch it, I think, is something Oof. that's lost now. Yeah. There's would, no feel to these things. I would say Quaid doesn't do enough backing away in his conversations <laughs> with Quato. I know this is something approaching a, a dead horse that we've been beating in the last oh, yes. couple of years, but think about Zelda. <laughs> oh, I know. In Pet Cemetery 1989 versus the remake. Yeah. Just think about the difference and how that hits. So much more effective in the old practical effects. Yeah, take a very emaciated man and make him look like he's supposed to be this fucked up 12-year-old girl. That's haunting. Right. Using this CGI and all this crap, it's it, it never works. It stinks. And I don't know what Quato looks like in the remake. I don't know how any of that plays out because, like maybe I said, Maybe Quato's not even it. in it. I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure... Theodore and maybe some of the other listeners are like, well, we can answer this question because there actually was a a remake to this movie. Yeah, but yeah. I don't really want to even think about it. I didn't have much memory of this movie, so when Quato comes on screen, first I'm like horrified, but then I'm like, oh shit, Keith Letterbox profile pic. Yeah, that is true. Which is sort of a disturbing choice. It is. But Keith's a disturbing dude. <laughs> they went down to Mexico to film this movie. A lot of it is in Mexico City. They used real subway stations and just sort of fit them to to look futuristic to fit into this world that they're creating yeah but a lot of on-site filming set building massive sets and stuff like that very old school in that sense and i think the thing that makes this movie work even more so than verhoven is arnold of course definitely i don't want to turn this into let's talk about arnold's career or Whatever. I think this is the first Schwarzenegger movie we've done on this podcast. I'm not like a huge action guy, so it's I sure. haven't even seen every Schwarzenegger movie, probably. I would agree. But there is that self-awareness comedy that he always brought at a certain point in his career. Oh, yeah. But he's also believable as this huge hulking guy that can handle anything. A, a secret agent with a wiped memory. I don't know. I just really think of him as a true unicorn because there's no right. The fact that he's able to have for him. The the fact that he's able to be this larger than life literally cuz he's just 
huge, but also have this charisma and can carry a movie. You don't have a lot of those. Right, and the fact that he's speaking a second language, so you have the accent and everything, which just adds to it. Mm-hmm. It's a one of one. There's nobody else like this. Right. And I think that he makes this movie work in a way that a lot of those other people wouldn't quite the same way. I think that's fair. I really can't picture this with friggin' what's his face from Jaws? Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> yeah, Richard Dreyfus. What's a completely different vibe at that point. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Then it becomes more of an everyman, like swept right, up into right. something, and it seems even more like a dream, unreal. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I mean, it's hard to picture him just like snapping necks the way that Schwarzenegger is. So let's get into it. There's a lot to cover, a lot of twists and turns. I had a lot of questions, so I was Googling things, trying to figure out like what are we supposed to believe, that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's some moments that I didn't fully understand. I'm not sure that I have all of the answers for everything, which in a way, I guess, adds to the yeah. idea that it's not real. I was definitely Googling the mutant thing, because at a certain point, you're just like, I was like, are these aliens? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> no. But that, obviously, you get it as you go along that it is mutants, but I think I probably missed where it's being discussed. Yeah, they just sort of breeze past it a couple of different times. Once but they do mention early, they do mention aliens. You just never actually see an alien. Right. They're the ones that built the reactor. That's right. Like the architects from uh, Prometheus. Yes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we open on a dream. It's a nightmare on Mars. We have Arnold with a mysterious woman. They're walking along. He falls down the side of a cliff, breaks his face shield, and this is something that recurs throughout the movie, but it's an impressive visual. Yeah. Which is the eyes bulging, the expanding tongue, the face contorting. Something that I have to tell you, it feels like once you start going down that path, you're not recovering from that. <laughs> like your face isn't going back to normal. And yet it does happen later. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I got to say, this was uh, resonating with me. A lot of dreams like this for me, catastrophic thinking. On Mars. Yeah, just dying (laughs) with some hot chick there. (laughs) (laughs) Laughing at you. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, well, if you are in the camp that everything we see in the movie is actually happening to Quaid, then this is the big thing that you can point to, is that he's having this dream that predates his trip to Recall. Right. That stars this Molina woman who we don't meet until later, who lives on Mars. Yep. That's pretty much it. That's what you can cling to is this dream. Right. I do think that if you're going to argue that it is a dream later, that the idea is that recall is able to pull things from your mind. So this woman could be anyone. That That's he's right. Dreaming. It could be a made up woman, but they are pulling her face out of his brain. But then again, why is her face already in the database at recall when you see it? <laughs> There's a lot of things. That's where true. You're just like, wait yeah. a minute. I don't know. Is this really his first trip to recall? Who knows? I know. <laughs> But he wakes up in bed next to his wife, Lori, played by Sharon Stone, who at this point had been around for most of the 80s and had yet to break through. And this was probably her biggest part to this point, I think, or at least her most known. I think if I was married to Sharon Stone at this time, I would go to sleep dreaming about Sharon Stone. Yeah, I agree. And I do think that a big theme for this episode will be (laughs) Sharon Stone, even though she's only really in like three scenes. Well, listen... If we go down this line, 
of acting like it's not all a dream and this stuff does really happen. I am very interested in like what's going on with Richter and her and the fact that she's doing this assignment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, her job is basically like to be pimped out. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird job. It's it's interesting. And Richter's just on board. Well, not really. (laughs) (laughs) I love that guy that like works with him or whatever. And he's like, Yeah, Lori must really hate that job. (laughs) Like just giving him shit. Yeah, that is great. Okay, so I do think that as we proceed, we will treat it as it's really happening, and then we'll circle back. Okay, great. So the year is 2084. That never actually is on screen, but that's confirmed on the VHS box, and then just it's become canon that that's when this is taking place. Okay. I think Verhoeven agreed with that on the audio commentary as well. I think that's just the idea, but they never really make it clear. We have construction worker... Douglas Quaid, played by Schwarzenegger, seemingly an ordinary guy with a smoking hot wife, potentially a sitcom coming on CBS. Although, (laughs) this is one instance where if you're like, okay, Sharon Stone is this guy's wife, and then you look in at Schwarzenegger, you'd be like, yeah, that's that's what makes sense. That checks out. He's like literally a barbarian. (laughs) (laughs) Or a Viking. Right. We get it. But he has these recurring dreams about Mars. He doesn't know why. At this point, Mars is inhabited by humans. It is governed by Velos Cohagen, played by Ronnie Cox, just one of the all-time 80s oh, yeah. villains, pops up in a lot of things, sort of always playing this type of guy. Cohagen is in the midst of trying to fight off a rebellion. There's this thing at the center of it called Turbinium, They harvest turbinium ore, the purpose for which is never 100% clear, but it it somehow aids in the war efforts at home on Earth. And so people on Earth want it. As long as he's able to, like, control it, then he can have control of Mars without there being an issue about it. I don't know. So there's a war going on on Earth and on Mars? Separate wars? Yeah, the one on Mars, I think, is more of just a rebellion. Yeah, yeah. Against Cohagen. Yes. Sharon Stone dominates these early scenes. She's jealous about these dreams. I'm talking about Lori, the character, obviously. She wants to entice Quaid with some sex. It's sort of hot at the beginning here. Yes. Verhoeven had her in mind for Basic Instinct because of her performance in this movie, where she's able to turn from sweet and caring to bad and evil to and back and forth very quickly yeah i'd be like we need to stop making total recall and start making basic instinct <laughs> right now yeah yeah and he said that sharon is very much like that in real life which sounds like kind of throwing shade but okay <laughs> i don't know i'm in on it Lori is just not interested in doug's fantasies of mars but he keeps coming back to it For- i don't know why though I got to tell you. Well, we only see one dream, but the idea is that he keeps having these dreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has like this feeling about it. You see a lot of Mars in this movie, not overly enticing to me. Yeah, I know. Mars sucks. <laughs> <laughs> They're always like, oh no, the dome might crack. Yeah, it <laughs> seems like that would happen all the time. <laughs> on his way to work on the subway, Quaid sees a commercial for Recall. It's a place where they implant fake memories. And I immediately was like, well, I have some ideas for some fake memories <laughs> yeah, you can give me. Really? Please. 
It Give does... me fake memories of having Lori as my wife <laughs> right now. <laughs> my God. <laughs> but it does sound like a pretty good service. Yeah, it's weird that in the movie they only really address it as like for vacations. Right. It seems like you could have a lot of other ideas for fake memories. There does seem to be limitless possibilities with this. Especially yeah. if the memories turn out to be as vivid as the fantasy that we think that Quaid might be having. Right. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. I would be like, can I just have a memory of me having fun? Because I really don't <laughs> carry one around. Can I have a memory of this podcast being good? Please? <laughs> Delusions. At work, Quaid brings up his idea to go to Recall so that he can experience Mars to his friend Harry. Harry warns him not to do it that he knows someone who had a schizoid embolism and never really recovered. It's yeah. dangerous to mess with your brain. I would like to know the percentage rate of the schizoid embolisms. They're definitely not super shocked when one might be happening. <laughs> it seems like there's like a 10% chance that this could happen. I don't know. The conversation at the construction site with Harry gave me like the Truman Show vibes. Yeah. And when you carry that over with Lori as well... She definitely has some looks, some expressions when he's talking about Mars and all this shit. So, of course, this definitely goes on the side of this is all really happening because he hasn't even gone to recall That's yet. right. But you can interpret these things any way you want, really. There's no concrete, definitive proof just because Harry makes a face or whatever. It's nothing. It goes both ways, I think. In the end, Quaid decides to visit recall anyway, wanting to implant a fake memory of a trip to Mars in the hopes of quenching his nagging Mars thirst. Doug! Bob McLean, it's good to see you. Nice to meet you. Come on in, it's through here. Go ahead and have a seat, make yourself comfortable. Thank you. Now, help me out here, Doug. You were interested in a memory of, uh... Mars. Yeah, Mars. Is it a problem? Uh... To be perfectly honest with you, Doug, if outer space is your thing, I think you would be much happier with one of our Saturn cruises. Everybody raves about them. No, I'm not interested in Saturn. I said Mars. Okay. You're the boss. Mars it is. Now, let me see. The basic Mars package will run you 899 credits. Now, that's for two full weeks of memories, complete in every detail. If you want a longer trip, that'll cost you a little more because it's a deeper implant. What's in the two-week package? Well, first of all, Doug, let me tell you, when you go recall, you get nothing but first-class memories. Private cabin on the shuttle, deluxe suite at the Hilton, plus all the major sites, Mount Pyramid, the Grand Canals, and, of course, Venusville. Yeah, but how real does it seem? As real as any memory in your head. Come on, don't bullshit me. No, I'm telling you, Doug, your brain will not know the difference. And that's guaranteed, or your money back. What about the guy you lobotomized? Did he get a refund? You're talking ancient history. Nowadays, traveling with recall is safer than getting on a rocket. Check out those statistics. Besides, a real holiday is a pain in the butt. You got lost luggage, lousy weather, crooked taxi drivers... When you travel with recall, everything is perfect. So what do you say? All right. Smart move. All right, while you fill out this questionnaire, I'm going to familiarize you with some of our options. No options. <laughs> Whatever you say. 
Could I ask you just one question, though? What is it that is exactly the same about every single vacation you have ever taken? I give up. You? You're the same. No matter where you go, there you are. It's always the same old you. Let me suggest that you take a vacation from yourself. And I know, it sounds wild. It is the latest thing in travel. We call it the ego trip. No, I'm not interested in that. You're going to love this, Doug. We offer you a choice of alternate identities during your trip. I'm, face it, why go to Mars as a tourist when you can go as a playboy or a famous jock or... Secret agent. How much is that? Ah, let me tantalize you. You are a top operative back under deep cover on your most important mission. People are trying to kill you left and right. You meet this beautiful, exotic woman. Come on. I don't want to spoil it for you, Doug, but you rest assured by the time the trip is over, you get the girl, kill the bad guys, and save the entire planet. Now you tell me, isn't that worth a measly 300 credits? He chooses to have the identity of a secret agent for his Mars trip. However, the procedure backfires. It turns out that Quaid has suppressed memories of actually being a secret agent on Mars and someone has erased his memory. So there's a lot to go over here. Right. First, very beautiful receptionist at Recall. I think so, yeah. Insane. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Right. Second, I actually like this guy. I'm not really sure who the actor is, the one who's doing this whole spiel. Oh, yeah. He seems very believable. The one with the important this- client? Yeah, the yeah, guy yeah. who's talking to Quaid, telling him he, at first he's trying to pitch Saturn. And right, then, right. You know, going like, hey, how about this? Only for 200 more credits, you could be a secret agent or whatever, like that guy. Yeah. He's got the right amount of sleaze and the right amount of believability That's that right. he would be this dude. This is where we get a lot of information, right, as Quaid is about to go under for the procedure and have it done. We find out about the alien artifacts. We have... A certain storyline given to that one scientist, and he goes, I've never seen this before. It must be new. Blue sky on Mars. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what happens later. Quaid gives his description of an ideal woman. He says brunette, athletic, sleazy, but also demure. That does sound good. It fits Molina. Exactly. This is actually brought up to Quaid later. Yes. Even when he's, like, I guess in denial about it. What is it? You better get down here. I am with a very important client. It looks like we got another schizoid embolism. I'll be right back. Uh, Mr. McLean? Mr. McLean? Bob, what's wrong? Don't let her leave. Get off you! You broke my cover! Here. You can't do a simple goddamn double implant. It's not my fault. We got a memory cap. They'll be here any minute. They killed you all. What the hell is he talking about? Oh, no. Let me go, what? Mr. Quaid. Try to calm down. <laughs> my name is not Quaid. <laughs> no, I'm Timmy now. Hurry, grab his leg. I'm Timmy. Hold it down, Quaid.
you all right? Listen to me. He has been going on and on about Mars. He has really been there. Use your head, you dumb bitch. He's just acting out the secret agent portion of his ego trip. I'm afraid that's not possible. Why not? Because we haven't implanted it yet. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I've been trying to tell you. Someone has erased his memory. Wait, excuse me. Someone? I mean, we're talking about the fucking agency. Shut up! Bob, the client's gone. Okay. All right. All right, look, here's what we're going to do. Renata, cover up any memory that he's got of us or recall. I'll do what I can. It's pretty messy in there. Ernie, dump him in a cab around the corner. Tiffany, you help him. I'm going to destroy his file and refund his money. And if anybody comes asking, we never even heard of Douglas Quaid. This whole thing where he starts freaking out, though, where it jumps to the moment where the procedure's backfiring and not working, Arnold noises off the charts. This is like the stereotypical oh, yeah. Arnold noises. Like the ones that people I, uh, impersonate. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all throughout this movie. Right. <laughs> He's cranked up to 11 from almost the beginning, just really having fun with this role. Sure. You blew my cover. <laughs> I can't even do a Schwarzenegger, which is like the easiest impression. Yeah, well, I'm not going to try. Him yelling, you blew my cover, is great. The recall employees believing that Quaid's memory was wiped by something ominously referred to as the agency managed to sedate him, erase his memory of the visit completely, and send him home. I just wanted to point out how annoying and horrible I found these Johnny Cab things. Oh, I know. Just the worst, yeah. creepy. Yeah, I know. It disturbing. seems like a, like an evil Disney World type thing. Because the mouth moves and the face is animated, but it's not 100% synced to the words. Right. So it's got that uncanny valley feel yeah. where you're like, this is off. I don't like it. See, Recall needed to do like the uh, Eternal Sunshine type procedure where they just come in overnight while you're sleeping. Yeah. I find that to be an effective way to have mind control done. <laughs> On his way home, Quaid is attacked by Harry, his friend from the construction job, and some I, other goons. I uh, try to piece this together. I mean, is Harry just like, as soon as he goes to recall, he knows that this is going to happen? I guess. If you're Harry, couldn't you be like, well, he's going to go to recall, and he's going to have this vacation thing planned in his mind, and it's going to be fine. Or he, maybe they've had, <laughs> going along the lines that this is real, it's like, Harry just knows that this is going to go I guess haywire. once you start digging around in there, yeah. you'll be able to tell what's happening. Yeah, that's fair. Or something. But the Harry sequence here doesn't really make sense to me because later on, Richter, who's one of the primary villains working for Kohagen, has explicit orders to not kill Quaid. That's right. Yet Harry, who seems like just a guy they got to watch over him, Decides that they're He's just going to kill him. Taking matters into his own hand. It's very weird. Yeah. Although, try as they might, they're unable to kill the great Arnold, who just destroys them. Yeah. Just breaking necks so easily. Quaid kills them all right there in the subway. Yeah. Harry describes his position as, I was there to keep you out of trouble. That's really all he says. Right. As far as an explanation. I'd love to get one of these jobs. Just hang out and watch this guy. Right. <laughs> you would get the Lori job. <laughs> yeah. Quaid gets home and tells Lori everything. She blames Recall at first, 
But then, ultimately, she attacks Quaid, too. The way they do this is great. It's in the dark. There's a machine gun firing. Terrible shot. I mean, oh, she's not I know. even close to hitting him. She's not standing that far away. But you don't see it's her until he like grabs her and then turns the light on. And he's sort of stunned. And then they have this fight. And this is, yeah, the first of many swerves. Yeah. She actually holds her own in this fight. I think so. In a believable way, yeah. which is hard to pull off for sort of a, a smaller woman against this huge guy. Well, she's a badass. Yeah, she's definitely convincing. She reveals that their marriage is a false memory implant, and the agency has assigned her to monitor him. My first response, if I'm finding this out from my wife, Sharon Stone, would be like, put me back in. Yeah. I'll do anything. Right. Just put me back into this dream. Yeah. Don't don't let me out of this. I know. But I want to go back. I was thinking, like, how long is this assignment supposed to go on? I'm just thinking to myself, this is her life. I mean, this is a full-time gig. Yeah, we don't get all the information. I can't imagine it was supposed to go on forever. Yeah. But everything was fake. He believes they've been married for eight years. Right. That it's they have all these weeks. memories. Yeah. yeah. Six weeks, though. I mean, are they going to do, like, Christmas cards and shit? <laughs> yeah, do they have friends? Right. Does he have a family? Game night? <laughs> Why are you doing this, Lori? <laughs> I said, talk. I'm not your wife. The hell you're not. I swear to God, I never saw you before six weeks ago. Her marriage is just a memory implant. You think I'm stupid? Ah! You remember our wedding? It was implanted by the agency. Falling in love? Implanted. Our friends, my job, eight years together. Suppose all of this was implanted too? The job's real. The agency set it up. Bullshit. They erased your identity and implanted a new one. I was written in as your wife so that I could watch you and make sure the erasure took. Sorry, Quaid. Your whole life is just a dream. Okay, then. If I'm not me, who the hell am I? Beats me. I just work here. Doug, Doug, there's something I want you to know. You were the best assignment I ever had, really. I'm honored. You sure you don't want to? Just for old time's sake? Come on, if you don't trust me, you can tie me up. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know you were so kinky. Maybe it's time you found out. Clever girl. You wouldn't shoot me, would you, Doug? After all we've been through? Uh, Some of it was fun. (laughs) Nice knowing you. One thing that I think is hilarious, and this comes up whenever Arnold goes to wash his hands of the blood from killing Harry, and Lori quickly calls Richter, who we find out later is her actual husband, the way that people answer their video phones in 2084 is so funny to me. They're always like looking in one direction and then they turn. Yeah. When the phone, <laughs> they're always like this. 
I know. I'm we, doing a, an impression for only Matt. We but. should adapt that for like FaceTime. <laughs> You're just looking like you purposely position yourself to look away from the screen. Yes. Wait till you answer it and then turn to face the person. <laughs> and I love how it's always like right in their face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and no one ever really looks thrilled, I got to tell you, on no. those videos. Several characters do it, though, so it must have been a style of how yeah, to answer the that's phone. That's right, yeah. I kind of think that Sharon Stone's look, blonde, yep, athletic, pretty, wearing this workout gear because she's practicing tennis whenever he gets home. That's right. I think this is the inspo for Sonya Blade. Okay. From Mortal wow. Kombat. Don't you think that? <laughs> I, that thought did not cross my mind, I have to tell you. The, the outfit she's wearing is very similar. Okay. And then you have blonde... The time period checks out, right? Yeah, what was Mortal Kombat 1? Like 92 or something like that, yeah. Okay. That's what I think. I- I'm buying it. Relatively speaking, Quaid accepts everything she's saying pretty quickly, which is weird. <laughs> right. It makes you wonder how solid these memories Wouldn't were. Wouldn't this in the just first be place. like, it's kind of like Inception when you go to limbo, because like at a certain point, now all of a sudden your whole reality is nothing eight years is just gone i mean wouldn't this stuff like drive you insane yes probably yeah yeah i think that's one of the conceits of science fiction is that if you actually mess with people's brains as much they would probably just go crazy right there's really i don't think any way to accept some i of mean this stuff. I, i'm kind of always on the verge of losing my grip on reality two seconds mess around with this stuff and i'd be done yeah but if part of it was being married to Sharon Stone. I'd be forever grateful. <laughs> Best life ever. <laughs> Lori's like, well, you know, out of all my assignments, you're my favorite one. And she's like trying to almost seduce him again as like a diversion tactic. Waiting yeah, because we can Richter. see Richter on the security camera behind. Yeah. And Arnold says, clever girl. Yeah, Jurassic Park. Yeah, it seems very uh, reminiscent of JP. That's right. When Quaid realizes that reinforcements are arriving, he knocks Lori out and flees, pursued by a group of armed men led by Richter, who's played by Michael Ironside, who is one of Cohagen's operatives and also Lori's real husband, which is a WTF moment for sure. That's right. Like, <laughs> this fucking guy? Yeah. Really? I just shut the movie off. When people were watching this in theaters in 1990, I hope there were gasps. I hope there were walkouts. People were like, fuck this. (laughs) Especially like bald guys. Oh, I know. Like, yeah, right. What is he worth $100 billion? (laughs) This guy, I mean, it would be Cohagen. I'd buy that. Yeah. Richter kind of seems like he's a dork. And look, he's looked down upon by his own boss. Yeah, everyone sort of treats him as a goof. Yeah. Although I do think that's just part of the fun of the movie. That's supposed to be comedic. I was trying to figure it out, though. Like, they're married. Did they meet on the job? Did he get her the job? <laughs> hey, honey, I got a great job for you. Yeah, You're really, going to get to fuck Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was like, this cuck. Like... <laughs> Jesus, what a fucking wild job. Yeah. <laughs> Probably monitoring the apartment they live in too they have like cameras like yeah. oh, God. oh i know cohagen's <laughs> like you have to watch <laughs> so there's a ch- subway chase sequence a lot of people get killed at one point quaid uses like a human shield of like some innocent guy 
that's it's like insane. one of the most over the top violence scenes in the whole movie because the guy is just being relentlessly shot. It's like Sonny Corleone at the toll booth. <laughs> yeah, it was controversial at the time. There is an abnormally high number of fatalities in this movie and people don't really react to it which i guess kind of goes along with the dreamlike yeah logic because there is a lot of deaths with people not really caring it did flirt with an x rating for violence i do think they did trim some stuff it was spoofed in hot shots part due yeah for the amount of kills in the film but even like when he kills when quaid kills harry and the goons and he's like breaking their necks. The bone cracking noises are like so silly and cartoony. You know, it doesn't sound real. No, but unlike a lot of other action movies, even R-rated action movies, there's a lot of blood. That's true. For through some of these scenes with the guns and stuff. Cuz a lot of times you'll have gun deaths like Die Hard or something, right. but you don't like see blood coming out of them really. You got to give credit for like jumping forward to the late 2000s and and we're still using Bullets, not lasers. I like that. Yeah. More reliable. That's right. Yeah. You know your laser gun's always like on the fritz. Yeah, for some reason those things never like hold their charge. <laughs> They're like the ice cream machines at McDonald's. They're just never working. That's right. <laughs> As you pointed out earlier, I noted a great joke from Helm, Richter's right hand man. Oh, I love He's this. like, Yeah, I'm sure she really hated having to fuck this guy. <laughs> I probably yeah, would have just shot that guy. Because I think it goes like, Helm, Helm's like, oh, yeah, I know I would be pretty pissed if my old lady was porking a guy like Quaid. And Richter's like, what are you saying? She liked it? And he's like, no, I'm sure she hated having to do that. <laughs> Cohagen is the downer for Richter, though, because he's the boss and he wants Quaid alive. We don't really know why exactly that will sort of become clear later. Although, not even 100%. I guess the biggest reason is that, well, we'll get there. I don't want to spoil everything in the first five minutes of the plot. Okay. You know, yeah, we're building towards some something stuff. here. After Quaid evades Richter's men, he goes to what seems to be a motel room of some kind. He receives a call from an unknown man who tells him that he, Quaid, has a tracking device in his skull. The man advises Quaid to wet a towel and wrap it around his head to muffle the signal. Just looks so silly. Yeah, again, for comedic purposes, although I guess they didn't really think that people would have tracking devices that would go beyond a wet towel right. in 2084, but okay. He also leaves Quaid a suitcase containing supplies and a video recording in which Quaid identifies himself as Hauser and explains that he used to work for Cohagen, but defected after learning about a Martian artifact undergoing the memory erasure to protect himself, Hauser, in the video, instructs Quaid to remove the tracking device from inside his skull. Not a simple operation, I have to tell you. Before going to Mars. Yeah, definitely the removal of the tracking device is one of the funnier, crazier-looking It looks horrible. Not, not the effect looks horrible. I mean... <laughs> if you the really process had to do of this, yeah. putting this thing up your nose, it's like reaching and grabbing something in your brain. There's w- no way you wouldn't have a constant headache if you had something that size just in your brain. I know. <laughs> putting pressure. I mean, it feels like it would fuck up your like neurology. Like you wouldn't be able to like walk around. Now this place he goes to watch the video. We're recording two episodes today. Both movies 
featuring rats in some point. I, I mean, yes. the horror of that. These rats at this place. <laughs> yeah, I always think about you whenever Ugh. we're doing something with rats. I know that you're going to freak out and cry <laughs> about it. There's a fun campiness to these effects, as we've said. I think that it's clearly a fake head at the last minute when the thing's coming out. You right. can tell that it's not real, but that just adds to the charm because it looks good enough. Yeah, I mean, his and nostril would burst. 1990, people weren't really seeing stuff that looked like this That's frequently. True. Yeah, The thing had great effects. Other movies had great effects, but it wasn't an everyday occurrence because, as I said... This predates the homogenized, everything looks the same CGI. Right, right. This was just cool shit. Howdy, stranger. This is Hauser. If things have gone wrong, I'm talking to myself, and you've got a wet towel wrapped around your head. Now, whatever your name is, get ready for the big surprise. You are not you. You're me. No shit. <laughs> Six beta nine, six beta nine, come in. Did you find him? We picked up an explosion at the old cement section. Send two units, we'll meet you there. Budget. All my life I worked for Mars Intelligence, Eddie Cohagen's dirty work. But a few weeks ago I met somebody, a woman, and I learned a few things, like I've been playing for the wrong team. All I can do now is try to make up for it. See, there's enough shit in here to fuck Cohagen good. Now, unfortunately, if you're listening to this, that means that he has got to me first. And here comes the hard part, old buddy. Now it is all up to you. Great. So in this pack that he gets, there's IDs, money, gadgets, most notably this hologram thing, right? which he uses later, which is the only reason we have to mention it now. It sort of plays into the ending. The message from Hauser says, get your ass to Mars, then go to the Hilton and flash the Brewbreaker ID 
at the front desk, which is, I guess, one of the IDs in the pack. The goons, Richter's guys come. They try to shoot the tracking device, but it I guess like a rat ate it because he puts it in a candy bar. I don't think a rat could eat that entire thing. I won't put anything past them. But not whole, though. So he must yeah, be dragging the candy bar around. Right. They basically look like clowns, the Richter guys yeah. at this point. There! There, and there's like clearly no human there. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah, these guys stink. The Mars arrival scene is also pretty iconic. It's one of the more memorable effects in the movie. It's out of nowhere. It's I know completely it's bizarre. Wild. It looks weird. It's almost like disturbing at times. If you just hover over the movie on Netflix, like this is that's the scene that plays. Probably. Yeah. Basically, Quaid is going through customs at mars he's wearing this mask of a woman did this suit come in that like suitcase as well i guess yeah. i don't know i was a little unclear as to where this whole thing came right. from but as he's going through it it because it's like it's not just him in a mask it's like i know it's some sort of a machine or something that is talking like this woman behaving like this woman and then it malfunctions as he's being asked questions at first the customs guy's like, how many weeks? And he says two weeks and then asks another question, but it's stuck on two weeks, which is another thing that points to it being a dream because his whole Mars trip was supposed to be two weeks. That's right. The whole thing. So as the mask is breaking down, it's like, real weeks, two weeks. Yeah, yeah. And the woman who's playing Arnold in a costume, basically, is really going for it, pulling at her mouth, like I'd freaking say so. out. Yeah. It looks crazy. Richter realizes as they arrive that this is going to be Quaid. Like an idiot, he starts firing his gun, punctures this air seal. Emergency doors are dropping. I know. The whole thing is very unique and strange. It doesn't really move the plot forward necessarily other than he's arriving on Mars. But it's become one of the scenes that people remember from this movie. I think because the effects on the woman are like so memorable. And it's unexpected. Definitely. The first time you're watching this movie, you're not really expecting this is what's Arnold happening. Arnold Schwarzenegger is basically inside this woman. <laughs> <laughs> so the need for Turbinium is heating up. We have a scene with Richter and Cohagen. They're focusing on retrieving Quaid alive at this point. Yeah. I, that's not really Richter's agenda. No, because he's he's pissed that he fucked Lori. <laughs> and it just dawned on him that she enjoyed it because <laughs> this other guy pointed it out. <laughs> yeah, you can tell he's pretty sensitive about it. Yeah. The revolution on Mars is about more money, more freedom, more air. It's being led by a mutant named Quato that no one has seen except for the top rebel people. They're keeping yeah. his identity a secret. I, I will say lucky for those people that haven't seen him. <laughs> I'd be happy to be on that list. Not the easiest guy to look at. No. <laughs> unfortunately. Quaid makes it to the Hilton on Mars and discovers a note he left for himself directing him to Venusville, which is the red light district populated by people mutated as a result of poor mm. radiation shielding. Yeah. This he's, is my section of town. He's supposed to ask for a woman named Melina. Along the way, Quaid meets Benny, 
a mutant taxi driver working to support five kids, which he reminds us of all the time, although we don't know he's a mutant yet. That will be revealed later. Yeah. The place that Melina is working is called The Last Resort, which is sort of a bar-slash-brothel. One of the more noteworthy employees is a woman with three breasts. That's right. Who happily reveals those three boobs. Several times. As you're older, you understand that this is all a prosthetic. When you're a kid, this is (laughs) mind-blowing. You've never seen anything like it. Right. (laughs) In fact, you would probably categorize it as the best nude scene you've ever seen, even though it's not really a nude scene because it's not real. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, I think that originally they were thinking of doing four and... It was looking more like teats on an animal or something. They just didn't get the look. But just the fact that like it was a whole thing, you know, right. like, let's figure out the right number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. When we first meet Melina, she's sitting at a table with some familiar faces. Yeah. Melina is played by Rachel Tikatin, who I'm not like super familiar with. I know she was in... I don't know her. Man on Fire and... Oh, wow. I want to say Con Air, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Something like that. Dean Norris at the table. At the table are Marshall Bell, who's playing George, and Tony, a mutant, played by Dean Norris. That's right. Hank from Breaking Bad. Yep. Who has what could only really be described as like a vagina face, maybe. (laughs) It's very troubling. It feels like it would be a lot of nights walking home from that bar by yourself. Yeah, something we're familiar with, for sure. (laughs) really. (laughs) We can relate to Tony. Sure. Yeah, there really aren't a ton of different variations on the mutants. A lot of them have that reddish look with a facial deformity like Tony. You have the three-breasted lady who just seems to have an extra body part, and then you have Benny, who almost seems like something out of Star Wars or something, which is a very shocking reveal when that happens. It's almost too much Benny storyline for me. Well, they could have trimmed that it, down a little it, that bit. That also plays in with it being a dream because okay. the guy at Recall was talking about corrupt taxi drivers and not having to deal with them. Oh, that's them. right. Remember, yeah, yeah. he's like, right, right. that's the benefit of not actually going to Mars. You yeah. don't have to deal with it. And then his corruption's taken to, you know, it's Right, right. Thing. Yes. Everything that happens in this movie is connected really to something. That you could pull from like the pre-recall yeah. experience. So when Quaid shows up and we have this table of people, they're not reacting in a way like they don't know him. You know what yeah. I mean? There's definitely a recognition there. So you're like, okay, this guy was part of this group. When we first see Melina, we recognize her as A, the girl from Quaid's dream at the beginning, and B, a face that was on the screen in the database back at Recall. So. Outside of the basic idea of the whether or not this is or is not a dream, besides that, like, do you have any theories as to how she got in there if he was already dreaming about her? That's like one of the biggest hurdles for me. I'm sure. Does the dream go back even further than we know? Yeah, I guess it plays into the ambiguity of the story where you don't really know. It's hard to connect because everything that we see on screen, if we're accepting that it's a dream at the beginning, but then it's not a dream when he's going to recall. And then we go into a dream. How is she in the database? Yeah. I don't know. She's feisty. She grabs 
Quaid's dick and says, what have you been feeding this thing? And he says, blondes, <laughs> yeah. which is truly a wild line I know. when you think about it. <laughs> I know this is an R-rated movie. I know a shit ton of people get killed. I know Sharon Stone does sort of partial nudity at the beginning. Sure. There's a three-breasted woman. There's a lot of weird... There's a little person prostitute that we're going to meet in a little bit who fires a machine gun. There's a lot of crazy shit, but like this seems overly vulgar for this movie i know really i was digging it (laughs) yeah i agree we needed more of that (laughs) melina ultimately spurns quaid though because she's unwilling to believe his story thinking he's still actually working for cohagen so she sends him on his way meanwhile cohagen declares martial law due to quato and the so-called terrorists now here is what i consider to be the highlight of the movie this is the best scene. This scene seemingly inspired parts of the Matrix. It's right, super cool. We get Sharon Stone back. Yeah, it's great. Said Vanilla Sky earlier, but this is it's like tech support. Yeah, you know, out of the blue, recalls Doctor Edgemar. You don't really see this guy other than the OG recall commercial at the beginning that. Quaid sees that's right on the train he's not one of the guys he dealt with when he actually went to recall yeah which also adds a layer to it yeah like he's the guy from a commercial and he's the one talking to him yeah i don't know normally when you go into a place you're not dealing with the people from the commercial (laughs) normally no unless you're talking about like a car dealership yeah (laughs) or something (laughs) you walk into progressive and flow is just there So, Dr. Edgemar shows up at Quaid's hotel room. He claims that due to a schizoid embolism, Quaid is actually trapped in a constructed fantasy from Recall's implanted memories. To further back his point, Lori has been inserted into the dream along with Edgemar in order to convince Quaid of the truth. So, she shows up to... And Basically, I do think that they start to convince him for a minute. Yeah. It seems like he's leaning towards believing them. Well, he hasn't been living in this reality that long. He had eight years yes. of marriage to Sharon. So that, that certainly is a much longer time period than what this has been. Also, when she says, I want you to come back to me, I would just be like, okay. Yeah, let's end this. Whatever this is, make it stop. I know. <laughs> Everything was fine. Part of what would be Quaid's return to quote-unquote reality is a Matrix-esque red pill moment where he's offered the pill. But when Quaid threatens to kill Edgemar, he ends up seeing the man sweating and decides he's actually real. So he kills him. Pretty bold decision because... I'd say so. You're basing this off of a bead of sweat. And that's enough to make you think, okay. I know. Did it not cross your mind that not everyone is in good of shape as you? Maybe he took the stairs at the hotel? Yeah. Well, I guess you could say that it's in- intentional. It's intentional on the story's part to give you an inconclusive reasoning that's for right. this. Yep. Because if you give him something completely conclusive, then it takes the mystery away. Yeah. If, if it was me sweating giving it away... It's not because I'm nervous. I just like unscrewed a bottle cap. <laughs> just because I've been doing a podcast. That's right. <laughs> One thing to take away, though, from Edgemar is that everything he claims will happen actually does happen. That's true. He says you'll go from hero to Cohagen's best buddy to getting the girl. It's like everything he says exactly happens. I know. 
Richter's men break the walls of the room down, burst in, and attempt to capture Quaid. Lori beats the shit out of him once he's so, down. Here's what I don't get about this, though. How would the Lori character flip here? Lori comes in under the guise that... I know. I know. I thought of that, too. It seems like it's all, like, a stream of conscience, like, freewheeling fantasy. Yeah. Because... He's invented her already in the dream. Right. From the beginning. Yes. Who knows? I know. That's there's fair. No, there's really no logic path you can go down that will just answer everything. That's right. It's just not going to happen. Yep. There are people out there who definitively believe that everything that happens in the movie is real in terms of it's actually happening to Quaid. And then there's people that there's are enough, convinced it's a dream. Right. There's enough holes that you could probably make either... Well, I guess you wouldn't be able to make either point conclusively. Yeah. So Lori beats him up again. They're trying to take Quaid out of the hotel, but then Molina arrives to save the day. She kills the goons with a machine gun before Lori pounces, and the two of them go at it. Verhoeven claimed on the audio commentary that it's the first serious woman-versus-woman fight ever on film. Wow, what a claim. I don't know if that's true or not. I guess he was saying that all previous female fights were like cat fights, that kind of a thing. Okay. Like having two serious women fighting. I definitely don't think there was a lot of it. There still really isn't a ton of it now. I think because of Marvel, because of Fast and Furious, I know they had Ronda Rousey and Michelle Rodriguez, for example, or I'm sure Scar Jo as Black Widow has had fights with women and stuff. Death. But... It, it's more prevalent now, but I don't know if this is the first one, but Verhoeven seemed to think it was. I'd love to just make a movie and then do an audio commentary where I'm just making wild claims about every scene being like the first time this was ever done <laughs> in my movie. Now it's Quaid's turn to be the hero because Lori overpowers Melina, but Quaid kills Lori before she can pull a gun on him. And this is a famous line. Consider that a divorce. <laughs> Which got cheers from the crowd. Oh, I'm sure. Doug. Honey. You wouldn't hurt me. Would you, sweetheart? Sweetheart. Be reasonable. After all, we're married. Consider that a divorce. That was your wife? I hate to take it in this direction, but I feel like now people would, there'd be think pieces about this. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Instead of just going with the absurdity of the movie. Right. We'd have to be like, oh, it's not funny. People are applauding a man murdering his wife (laughs) just to get out of the marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Quaid and Melina reunite with Benny, the cab driver, and escape back to Venusville. Richter shows up just inconsolable over Lori, as we all would be. Absolutely. I mean, at this point, I'm actually kind of on Richter's side. Now I want him to kill Quaid. (laughs) Richter is basically living a better version of your life. I know. (laughs) Or your fantasy, I mean. (laughs) The mutants back at Molina's place of work usher her and Quaid and Benny into a secret passage that leads into the mines underneath 
Mars while an absolute bloodbath erupts in their wake. <laughs> yes. Richter kills the lady with three breasts. Horrible. That is a disgusting act, and it's unfortunate that we had that on our air live. That is disgusting. Now we need, like, someone avenging her. <laughs> Come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> we have Thumbelina. That's right. With a machine gun up on the counter. Just lighting people up. Richter narrowly escapes with his life. His right-hand man, Helm, gets stabbed, I think, by... Thumbelina, maybe. I think it is Thumbelina, yeah. I can't remember. Just right in the gut. Cohagen ultimately decides to call them off because he's got a better plan. He shuts down Venusville's ventilation in order to asphyxiate the inhabitants and force Quaid out. Down in the mines, Quaid, Melina, and Benny are taken to a rebel base where Quaid is introduced to their leader, Quato. The Quato reveal! <laughs> If you've never seen Total Recall, folks, buckle up, because it is fucking wild. This might be the scene that turns some people off to it. It's weird, especially in light of Malignant, the new James Wan movie, which a lot of people seem to like and appreciate as more of a comedic horror movie type thing. I actually didn't like the movie at all. All right. I don't want to spoil it, but let's just say Quato sort of is in that realm a little gotcha. bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's reminiscent. I think I, by the title, I have some guesses as to how it goes. It's gross. It's disturbing. It looks incredible, though. Even, who is the other guy? George or whatever his name is? George. So George. Marshall Bell is like, all right, I'm going to take you to Quato. And he basically turns around and just starts like Like convulsing. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, what is happening? Yeah. It's so... Weird. It seems like a horrible experience to have Quato come out of wherever he usually stays. Quato is a conjoined twin to George. He comes out of George's abdomen. It seems like only one of them can be conscious at a time. Yeah. So you notice, like, when Quato comes out, George is, like, zoned right, out. Right, right. And most of the time, I guess, Quato's tucked away. Now they Whatever are. Whatever that means. Do they both eat? And I guess that all all of the poop comes out of one butt. Yeah. Just a horrible right. scene. <laughs> what is going on? I don't know. I don't want to know. He looks like a baby, which is also weird. Yeah. I guess Marshall Bell is doing the voice of Quato as well. Oh, wow. So this is like one of his like most known for things, even though... If I go to like what actors I've watched the most movies of this year on Letterboxd, Marshall Bell is like in the top ten oh, because shit. he's in so many things. Wow, he just like pops up in everything. He, I mean, small parts, sure, but a longtime character actor, a journeyman. This is definitely like his most known for role, though, because it's so memorable. Well, you don't have a lot of people pulling this move. There's a texture. There is a tangible feeling to Quato. That you don't have with stuff like this now. I would agree. It's a throwback. The thing with mutants on Mars is that they all seem to have psychic abilities, but Quato seems to be the best, I guess. King Psychic, yeah, he's like Professor X. That's part of his, I guess, uh, resume for being the leader of the, the revolution. And it all plays in with why Quaid and Hauser, who are essentially the same person, have set this up this way. But it's sort of slowly revealed. (sighs) 
What do you want, Mr. Quay? The same as you, to remember. But why? To be myself again. You are what you do. A man is defined by his action, not his memory. Please, take my hand. Uh. Now, open your mind to me. Please. Open your mind. 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 Quato reads Quaid's mind recalling a discussion between Cohagen and Richter about a Martian artifact discovered in the mine. Turns out it's a reactor. The purpose remains a little vague at this point to the viewer, but it's clear that Cohagen and his cronies do not want to turn it on. I think unless you're some sort of a genius watching this, you're not really fully getting what the deal is yet, but right. okay. During the trip down memory lane, Cohagen's forces find the base and crash in using their enormous drill vehicles. During the attack, they kill most of the rebels. Quaid, George, Quato, Molina, and Benny escape. But Benny, out of nowhere, kills George and reveals his alliance with Cohagen. Yeah, that was a big shock. It's a big heel turn. And not the first of this movie That's after right. Lori. Yes, we have alluded to that. It it's keeps going. Made all the more shocking because Benny had revealed himself to be a mutant with that crazy alien arm thing. Right. But he was working with Cohagen to lead Quaid to Quato. That's right. So that they could figure out who Quato was because they didn't know. As he's dying along with his conjoined twin George Quato tells Quaid start the reactor free Mars before Richter arrives and kills him if you want to play the game of this as a fantasy it always seems like Richter could just kill Quaid and never does that's right even though he clearly wants to there's a lot of situations where Quaid is always spared even though he just walks up and shoots Quato unceremoniously that's true and you would think Quaid would be first on his mind. You know what I mean? Yeah, Molina always Quado. is safe, yeah. too. Right. Quaid and Molina are taken to Cohagen, who, amongst other things, plays a video of Hauser, Quaid's original ID, explaining that he developed the Quaid persona to fool Quado's psychic abilities, infiltrate the Rebellion, and destroy them. So... Because Quato's a psychic, they needed to be able to convince Quato that this guy wasn't still working for Cohagen. So this is another heel turn. I You're know. like, oh wait, are the main character is a bad guy right, now right. all of a sudden? This is the part I was confused by when I was watching it, even several times. I was like, wait, is this real? Is Hauser really a villain the whole time? And that's what they do that's kind of smart in the movie, is that even though Hauser and Quaid are the same person, they never really treat them as the same person. That's right, person. yes. Even Quaid is expressing himself as, like, I used to be this other person. Yeah. So clearly, Hauser is a villain 
who is one of Cohagen's best friends, and that's right. why he, they're not allowed to kill him. Yeah. And Quaid is an innocent who comes into this thing not knowing anything and decides to side with the rebellion. That's right. Basically. It's all very Star Wars shit, talking about like rebel bases and rebellions. <laughs> yeah. and You rebel scum. <laughs> I do love Cohagen and Hauser, just a couple of chums. <laughs> Laughing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's go to the party. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's. I'll see you at the party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cohagen orders Quaid to be re- reprogrammed with Hauser's memories, and he's going to make Melina into Quaid's obedient babe. <laughs> I know. How does that sound? As this is going on, Venusville is running out of air. They're about to die. Very slowly, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, it takes forever. Right. (laughs) Arnold, just one of the best line deliveries of all time. Give those people air. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Cohagen. You got what you want. Give these people air. Of course, as all overly confident villains do they decide to head to that party before seeing this through leaving it to these scientists to do the reprogramming they leave quaid uses brute strength and just initiates this insane and bloody escape from this machine that he's strapped down to ah yes he gets out with melina minimal brain damage yeah i don't even think they had started yet uh, oh i, I guess they, they did yeah because they her. started yeah yeah so she's a little obedient yeah. <laughs> Whenever Cohagen finds out, he smashes his goldfish tank. That's right. And all those goldfish are just dying, and I, I didn't like that. Yeah. But I guess there's a parallel because they they can't breathe, and Venusville's still struggling for air. Yep. Quaid and Melina escape into the mines and eventually locate this mythical reactor. Benny attacks first using this giant drill vehicle. Quaid fights him off with a drill of his own, although... Benny is in a vehicle. Quaid is just using like a handheld drill. Yeah. Somehow he he drills through the gas line, which renders the vehicle useless. It's a whole thing. He eventually yeah. drills through it and kills Benny. Maybe one too many action sequences for me. I will say the one thing that holds this movie back from being like a perfect sci-fi fun movie is that the last portion of the movie drags on for a while. And when you find out about the script stuff and the rewrites and the working on the ending and not knowing how to end it, it makes sense. Right. It does go on for a little too long. I would for say. For my taste. I think so. So the reactor is something that they're going to turn on. It melts Mars's core, which is made of ice. It's going to somehow turn that into breathable air. Yeah. Give Mars. It gets an Earth-like atmosphere. Yeah. Some kind of a blue sky atmosphere right. situation. I don't really know the science. I don't really think it's real. Who no. cares? <laughs> but obviously, Cohagen's opposed to it because he will lose control. He charges for air. He charges for everything. He's kind of ruling Mars with an iron fist. That's right. And the reactor, if it's turned on, will take that away. Richter and some goons attack next. This sequence also goes on a little too long. I feel like they could have done the hologram deal once. I know. But they do it a bunch of times. Back to, to the well with to the get hologram. Rid of all of them. Even Molina's using the hologram at one point. Yeah. They kill the goons, and then Richter and Quaid finally end up in this elevator. Hand to hand combat. There's an elevator mishap where Richter gets his arms cut off. Oh, yeah. It's like what we wanted to see in Speed, and it just didn't happen. That's right. Super bloody, like so many other parts of this movie. 
Eventually, they reach the reactor's control room, where Kohagen is waiting with a bomb, claiming the reactor will kill them all. Molina shoots Kohagen, but he activates the detonator. Quaid throws the bomb down a tunnel, causing an explosive decompression event, and then pushes Kohagen into it, blowing him out onto the Martian surface, where he suffocates and eventually dies. By the way, not a lot of care around like all the shooting that's going around you know what i mean they're in this bubble yeah it seems like this whole life can come crashing down like pretty easily and they're just like let's just fuck everything up carelessly we get to have that eye bulging grotesque yes. face right. with cohagen which it do- it looks like a cartoon it's like whatever in the like the old cartoons where the eyes would bulge out of their heads or whatever like it's like the Tom end of Jerry or who whatever. framed roger rabbit yeah yeah with what's his face the guy from hook shmi no oh. no uh doc brown oh 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 at the very end when christopher he... lloyd yeah 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 at the very end when he right. played like doom or whatever his name... what is his name in that yeah whatever i'm sure we'll do roger rabbit one day on hopefully there. Quaid manages to activate the reactor before he and Molina are also blown out onto Mars. They almost die. They go through the whole can't breathe thing. Again. Seemingly as long as Cohagen did. Their faces get all sorts of contorted. I'm not understanding how this can return to normal after that. <laughs> yeah, you would think at the very least, if you survived it, it would take a while for it to go back to yeah, normal. Yeah, like you'd have like a flabby face or something. <laughs> Your eyes are just, like, bulging out. <laughs> Hanging off your face. The reactor sublimates a turbinium glacier, which is not real, by the way, but okay, and releases gas that bursts to the surface and forms a breathable atmosphere, saving Quaid, Molina, Venusville, and the rest of Mars's population. As everyone stands in awe looking at the new sky, which is blue... Quaid momentarily pauses to wonder if everything was a dream before kissing Molina and ending the movie. Yeah. Maybe he decided it was a dream, and he's like, all right. Well, you're too far deep at that point. Yeah. It is is like Limbo. You get stuck in it now. He's not coming back out. Yeah. I can't believe it. It's like a dream. What's wrong? I just had a terrible thought. What if this is a dream? Well, then kiss me quick before you wake up. I agree that I think it's a dream. There's just too many things pulled out of his real life that are incorporated into it. Things that are people are saying to him. There's a million things. I didn't even list half of them. There's yeah. so many things that get incorporated into stuff in the plot later. There's all so many clues that it's like disappointing if it's not a dream. Yeah, but there are some unanswerable things which make you question it, which is enough that it makes sense that Quaid is willing to go with it because he thinks, I dreamt about this woman. That's right. And then now here she is. But I do like <laughs> Edgemar or whoever says something like, listen to what you're saying. You dreamt about her so she's real? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, what? But in the logic of this movie, yeah. it makes sense. I love like when you're going through the options for a girl, sleazy is one of them. Like that's <laughs> sleazy. Well, it was like eighties mentality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess they mean like 
salacious. I don't know. Overtly sexual. Se- seductive, maybe. Down I would, the clown. I would ta- yeah. <laughs> Sleazy. Sleazy doesn't sound like an appealing quality to me. Yeah. <laughs> it depends, I guess. Okay. <laughs> All right, folks. So that's uh, Total Recall. Yeah. This was just an insane time period for yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. You cannot compare it to anybody now. I guess you would say maybe The Rock is the biggest action star now. There is no run in The Rock's career that was like this one that Arnold was in the midst of right now. Right. You had Kindergarten Cop. Great movie. Terminator 2. Yes. All of these things like coming out in a short amount of time. And this is already post-Predator and Terminator 1 and all of the things he did throughout the 80s. Yep. And now you're headed. I think he actually got bigger in the early '90s, and it didn't start coming back down till Last Action Hero, which a lot of people like. But it went up against Jurassic Park in the same summer, and it didn't win. Yeah, and the bloom was a little bit off the rose at that point because then you had like Mr. Freeze coming up and all that shit. Mm -hmm. It wasn't all winners, no. But this was still the golden era, and this was probably part of that peak. When you think about all the control he had on this, and this was one of those movies, much like That's weird. Titanic or something, where yeah. before it came out, people were like, this is going to be a disaster. It's going to lose so much money. It's going to yeah. be a massive flop. The idea of like the big movie star almost doing like a LeBron James thing where he's like building the team and everything, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I'm picking the director. I'm putting my friends in it, whatever. I, uh, well, I think he had, like, approval. I don't think he actually, like, literally cast okay. the movie, but right. he had... Whatever, he, he had a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely less of a thing today, it feels like. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because the the idea of the movie star is diminished for yeah. all intents and purposes because they more or less are going to sell you the franchise or the, the character or the the concept more than the people who are in it, Yeah, I think. But yeah, this was a good listener request. I, I enjoyed diving into this, a movie that I hadn't seen in, in, like I said, years. Yeah, it's more easily accessible than Blade Runner, I think, which is more complex and, and you have to really vibe with the whole aesthetic of it. Definitely. This is more of a popcorn remix of that idea where you're going to have the, the comedy with Arnold. You're going to yep. have the, the crazy visuals and... Sort of the weird shit. Yeah. Just like, oh, yeah, this woman's got three boobs. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. It, it does have like a nice balance of fun, weird, also makes you think. Yeah. It would be interesting to go through Arnold's career and try to pick like a top five. We're not going to do that right now, but I'm wondering if I would put this. I think I probably would put this in, a, in an Arnold top five for me. Yeah, I'd have to take a look. I, I think it would be up there. I'm thinking it's probably cracking in. Yeah. I definitely would put Predator. Now, do you put both Terminators or do you just put one? Eh. I don't know. That's tough. I like them both for different reasons. It's kind of like Alien and Aliens. Yeah. You know? They're uh, both great. Right. So that that is tough. They both might be in for me. I think I would probably put True Lies in. Okay. I don't know if True Lies is there for me. I Just mostly I don't have the connection with it i mean i've seen it but i haven't i I guess it's like total recall (laughs) i haven't seen it in years all right yeah it's something to think about all right yeah give us a second 
So we're skipping over recommendations for this episode and the next one, just to save some time for ourselves, try to get these both recorded. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to have a fast turnaround. There will be another new episode later this week, before October 1st, before we cross over into this year's greatest October, which will start a little later than usual. Just a few days. We're not going to dump out an episode on the last day of September and then immediately kick off Greatest October. Well, I wouldn't put that past us, but you need time. Not this year. No. Yeah, so it'll be early in the next week, I guess, at the beginning of October, like the 4th or the 5th or something. I do think that moving forward, now the schedule is going to be a little different because of Greatest October and everything coming up, but I do think that something that I adopted with the speed episode and then carried over into uncut gems which is releasing it late tuesday night past midnight that's really almost a 24-hour difference from what you're used to but i do think that's going to be the new release times it will be like late tuesday night instead of late monday night all right give myself that extra day works for me <laughs> just letting the listeners know to, what to expect I thank think, you i still think that our recording schedule will be the same but it gives me an extra day oh, then we can't to get record it, out. it monday night now <laughs> All right, folks, follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Give us a rating and review. If you'd like a sticker, let us know on Twitter. You can also request an episode on Twitter as well, much like Theodore did. We thank Theodore for this listener request. We had a lot of fun doing it. This is a movie that we both liked, hadn't seen in a long time. I think that's one of the joys of a listener request sometimes. is like, okay, this wasn't something we were thinking of doing right Definitely. away. And then we're like, oh, yeah, that might be fun. <laughs> right. Anything with this era of Sharon Stone is going to be fun for <laughs> that's me. That's right, yes. <laughs> I mean, has there ever been anyone better as an actress? I don't think so. I still think Basic Instinct is one of the best performances of all time. I think it's one of the best movies of all time. I kind of agree. Yeah. <laughs> It might be my top five favorite movies, I think. <laughs> I know. It's kind of there for me, too. All right. So, anyway, we thank you for listening. You can find us on Letterboxd. You know where we're at. It's always fun interacting with people who are <laughs> liking our reviews, our stupid-ass reviews <laughs> on there. I don't know. I've I lately gone through one of my – am I still doing this kind of thing with Letterboxd? And I, I was considering, like, not doing it anymore. Just, I just clicked on your profile, and I'm like, holy shit, Zach has whatever checked in 720 movies this year. I'm at like 200. And you know what? And I, it slowed so much down the wow. last couple of weeks. But I, that's just, you know, you burn fast and yeah, bright. Yeah, I sort of burned out. On, I'm like, oh, God, I'm starting another movie. <laughs> <laughs> they all start blurring together. Yeah. Especially when you're trying to do a podcast. All right. We'll be back later this week. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. It's a god-awful small affair To the girl with the mousy hair But her mommy is yelling no And her daddy has told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream To the seat with the clearest view and she's hooked to the silver screen 
But the film is a sad thing for For she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools As they ask her to focus on A moth goes into a podiatrist's office. A moth goes into a podiatrist's office. Right. You are correct. <laughs> a moth goes into a podiatrist's office, mm -hmm. and uh, the podiatrist's office says, what's the problem? And the moth says, what's the problem? Where do I begin, man? He goes, I go to work for uh, Gregory Olinovich, and uh, all day long I work. Honestly, Doc, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I don't even know if Gregory Olinovich knows. He only knows that he has power over me, and that seems to bring him happiness. But I don't know. I wake up in a malaise, and I, I walk here and there. And the podiatrist says, oh, yeah? 
And the moth goes, yes. And he goes, uh, at night I, I sometimes wake up and I turn to some old lady in my bed that's on my arm. A lady that I once loved, Doc. I don't know where to turn to. My youngest, Alexandria. She, she fell in the, in, the, in the cold of last year. Mm -hmm. The cold took her down as it did many of us. <laughs> and my other boy. <laughs> and this is the hardest pill to swallow, Doc. My other boy, Gregario <laughs> Ivinolidovich. I no longer love him. <laughs> as much as it pains me to say, when I look in his eyes, all I see is the same cowardice that I, that I catch when I take a glimpse of my own face in the mirror. <laughs> if only the cowardice was stronger, then perhaps, <laughs> perhaps I could bring myself to reach over to that cocked and loaded gun that lays on the bedside behind me. And in this hellish facade, once How and long for all, a drive was this? <laughs> do you live in the valley? Where do you live? Please, sorry. He says, Doc. Sometimes I feel like a spider, even though I'm a moth. Just barely hanging on to my web with an everlasting fire underneath me. I'm not feeling good. And so the, moss, the, the doctor says, Moth, man, you're troubled. But you should be seeing a psychiatrist. Why on earth did you come here? And then the moth said, because the light was on. 